I love the time of worship this morning, didn't you? It's uh, wonderful songs we could sing. I was up early this morning, actually, and um, I heard the birds, and I opened my window and heard the bird song. It was absolutely beautiful. Even nature worships Jesus. Um, if we don't worship Jesus, the stones are going to cry out in worship, we're told, aren't we? It's just lovely to worship Jesus. Uh, my favorite time of the week to be together uh, and worship him. This is the last in our series of hopes and fears for 2024, and we're looking at the rather emotive subject of money today. In this series, we've seen as followers of Jesus, he gives us a secure future that we can live fear-free and that we can live with hope. So if you're visiting us today, um, you're curious or investigating about the Christian faith, this morning we're considering what Jesus said and what the Bible says uh, about this subject of money, money, money. I was going to get the Abba song to be sung now, but um, I thought maybe not. You know, in our culture, it's difficult to talk about money sometimes. But I'm sure that all of us here can easily relate to hopes and fears about money. Money can offer the illusion that we can have a safe and secure future, but life is full of surprises. We all hope that we'll have enough money to support our needs short and long term. If we don't have a lot of money or no job security, we may be thinking, I hope there's going to be enough for me this week or this year. Fearing that we don't have enough is a real anxiety for many. And what happens when life throws a curveball? Common fears around money are obviously about being poor, having to live in poverty, the embarrassment of that, and how it disempowers you in life. A fear of debt, particularly increasing debt, or a debt that is unpayable, or losing money through a failing business, or some mistake, or some fraud, or scam, or having to be financially dependent on others. They're common fears that we can have. These are very real events that can result in us living with high levels of anxiety and fear. I suspect that most of us in this room have faced some financial worries at some point, if not at the moment. Long before any of us were born, when we didn't have money or credit cards, when people foraged and hunted and bartered for food, there were still the same hopes for provision of food and basic needs. Let's have a look at a few things that Jesus had to say about money and also Paul, who was a church leader in the early church. Jesus often told stories um, about money. Twelve of his 38 stories were actually about um, money. Can this go up a little bit for me? Thank you, Rich. Thank you. So let's look at uh, the first thing here, provision promised. We believe as Christians that Father God provides for us. Followers of Jesus claim that God the Father provides for our needs. Is this true? In the first book in the Bible, in the first chapter, God says to the first man and woman, long way before money, I give you every seed-bearing plant, I give you every fruit tree, every green plant for food, and later on, all kinds of meat. Therefore, we see that for our most basic needs, God says that he will provide for us, whoever we are. 
So the Christian view is that we trust God for our food, for daily provision, and not Tesco's or Aldi or Waitrose, whichever is your favorite. Because, you know, we no longer live close to the land. We earn money to buy food instead of growing it. We perhaps forget that God is our provider. That is why it's so appropriate to thank God for our food regularly. Jesus talks about God providing for us in Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For pagans, that's the term he used for those who didn't believe in Jesus, run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is where our confidence is. Jesus is saying, don't worry about anything. Have the kingdom of God, his kingdom, as your priority and your needs, not your wants, will be met. So we see from the Bible, just a quick look, that our Heavenly Father promises to provide for our daily needs, that we do not have to be anxious and worry about these things. In fact, Jesus says very specifically, do not be anxious. And so many of us live with low levels of anxiety, don't we? Even if it's not about food. God looks after the birds, so he's well able to look after you. But there's another thing that Jesus said in this chapter. Jesus instructs us to ask for our food. And it's right there in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave us to say, give us our daily bread. So we are to pray, not from a place of anxiety, but from a place of trust for the needs of the day to be supplied. Because most of us live with such abundance of food, we perhaps forget to ask. If you're in work, our provision comes through our employer. We can easily forget God's part. But ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we believe it is our Heavenly Father providing for us. And our prayer isn't, give us enough so my freezer can be stuffed full. That is not the prayer. If your freezer is stuffed full, then you are certainly blessed. But the promise is for our daily needs to be provided. If you know the story of the Israelites, when they were traveling and living in the desert for decades, it was a daily needs, their daily needs that God provided for them as they traveled. And there are many stories that I've heard over the years of how God provides for us through extra work, through promotion, through unexpected cash, through letterboxes, through unexpected tax returns, and I've had all of those. Because many of us do not live hand to mouth, we're in danger of not remembering who provides for us. This doesn't mean that we're not to budget our income or to save money if we can, if we're in that position. If we're able to save and are wise stewards of money, then that's good. John Wesley, a famous preacher in the 1700s, said, Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I would put a slight caveat on that. Don't earn out of greed, but they're great principles, aren't they? Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Some Christians can feel guilty about having money. You know, they, they always, they've got a new car, so they put a caveat, and oh, it was a real bargain, or 
they've bought something else, and they can, we can somehow feel a bit guilty about having money. On the other hand, some Christians feel guilty about not having money. But what about those times when there is shortfall? Is there help for us when there is lack? What is the Christian's attitude when money is not available? Let's have a look then at uh, provision delayed. Knowing Father God's provision does not mean that we will, always exp- we will not experience times when finances are tight, when we lack some of our basic needs sometimes. It is not uncommon for us to experience lean times. I've certainly done that. There can be many reasons for this. You know, unexpected breakdowns, damage to our property, debts that we can't pay, falling behind with the rent, losing money uh, through a scam or something, through fraud. It may be a lack of experience of budgeting and living, not living within our income. But how do we act? How do we react? Do we spiral down into anxiety and fear? Paul, a leader in the church in Bible times, wrote this in one of his letters in Philippians 4. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Did you notice those words in the middle of that sentence? I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Paul was a well-educated, clever man, but he had to learn how to be contented. Being content with what we have is a secret of not spiraling down into fear and anxiety. And the bottom line is that we have a father who loves us and will care for us. However disastrous a situation we may be facing, even if there is delay in provision. Provision delayed is not provision denied. Learning to be content for this man, Paul, was not just about food on his plate. For he had suffered many things. He'd suffered, listen to this list, imprisonment, flogging, lashes, beating with rods, public stoning, shipwreck, going without food, being cold and naked. Quite a list, isn't it? In all this, Paul says that God's grace was sufficient for him, that he was content, he was able to find contentment in whatever circumstances he found himself in. He wasn't jealous of others. How do we do this? Well, he learnt it, and we need to learn how to do that. When there is lack, there is no need for us to go into crisis panic mode. Not manic mode, panic mode. You and I can resist the temptation to do this. We can press in for God's help. It's an opportunity to see how God will provide for us. He will empower us and give us strength, power in our weakness. We can therefore put our faith and trust in him to provide. I have learned to be content, Paul says. I can do all things through him, Paul says, who gives me strength. Faith doesn't deny a problem's existence. 
It denies its place of influence. I love that quote. I'll give that to you again. Faith doesn't deny a problem's existence. It denies its influence, its place of influence over us. When provision is delayed or some crisis happens, our Father will provide. It can be through the miraculous, as Jesus did, with multiplying bread and fish to feed the 5,000. It can be through unexpected gifts pushed through your letterbox. It can be through food bank. It can be through finding a £10 note caught in a bush. It can be through extra work coming your way. As followers of Jesus, we can be confident in God providing, even if there is delay. I'd just like us to pray um, at the moment, and then I'll continue. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our provider. And Father, we ask that you would help us to learn that lesson of contentment with what you have given to us. Help us to rest and be at peace in the area of your provision, in the area of the money that's in our pocket and available to us. And in times of uncertainty, would you give us your strength? For you indeed are a generous God and you're always good to us. Amen. One way that I've already hinted at is that God provides through the community of believers, through the church. So this is looking at provision shared. Church communities are called to share and support each other. Christians have always shared and supported one another. It's in our DNA. The first church did this, and it's recorded for us in the Bible. There was need in the church at times, and they provided for it. Let's read about that. It's in um, Acts chapter 4, and it should come up on the screen for you. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was, was, was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. It's interesting, the connection there with the preaching of the gospel and living in grace and God providing. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet, that's the leaders' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Do we live like this as a church, holding loosely to what we have been given? When I moved into my current home, I named it Bethel, and I had a plaque and put it on the wall outside, and my house is called Bethel. And Bethel actually means God's house. And it's a reminder to me that that's God's house. He's just letting me live there for a little while, a long while, I hope, but... Um, <laughs> It's not mine. We need to hold loosely to the possessions that we are given. Um, in uh, one of my previous churches, I, was, I just felt so blown by, by this, this gift that was given. Um, this couple that were decorating their house, um, and they, the outside of their house, and they bought a gantry so that they could deal with the upper part of the house. And the, the guy stood up and said, this gantry is ours. You know, if you need it, you borrow it. Because it's, it's not just ours. He was willing to share it. And many um, 
such sharing of tools and carpet cleaners and things like that used to go on. It's in our DNA to support and share uh, with one another. But I want to paint a wider uh, picture for us here, stretch our thinking a little bit, because we are called, I believe, individually and as a church to contribute to the needs of the poor. We had Nicola come and speak a while back about it. It's not just local needs, but also needs in other lands. We obviously help people through food bank and community cafe, lunchbox and Acts 435, which we actually read just a minute ago. But those of us who have spare finances, who have some disposable income, whether that large or small, have the ability and the power to use that money for kingdom purposes. You know, we live in an age when we are aware of the needs of the poor globally. And there are very practical ways, financial ways, in which we can help the poor locally and internationally. The own um, the group of churches that we belong to, Catalyst, raise literally thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to help um, churches in Ukraine um, in their situation at the beginning of the war. Thousands of pounds. There's an organization called Tear Fund, um, which is aligned with the Evangelical Alliance. And they do a very similar thing on a huge, huge scale. Millions and millions of pounds. And they channel the money to local churches, to pastors, who can then give to the needs in the area. And they have um, a, transformational, a community transformational pro transformation program based on biblical principles that they use. And, you know, just the price of a cup of coffee <laughs> a month, you give that money regularly, it will have an impact if lots of us do that. It's clear from the Bible that we are to give beyond the needs of the local church, and we are to first give to the needs of the local church, supporting our pastors and workers that are employed uh, with us. But Paul collected money for the Jerusalem church during a severe famine, Giving to the poor, you know, can seem just like a, a drop in the ocean because there's so much need out there. Famines are always happening. But as church and individuals, we are able to make an impact, I believe, just by giving a little, or a lot if you've got it. That was, you're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> you are with me, aren't you? You know, God will honour our giving and loving of the poor and using the power of the money that we have if we're prepared to sacrifice. Jesus told a story about a rich farmer who demolished his barn and built a bigger one because he'd had a bumper crop that year. He thought he had plenty. He'd retire, you know, he'd eat and drink and have a merry life. And that night he died. He had no need of such wealth for himself. The lesson is, don't amass riches and huge wealth without being rich towards God and towards the poor. No problem with being wealthy. It's what we do with our wealth. The problem with wealth is that most of us in this country, we're actually among the wealthy, by the way, we forget the poor. It's so easy, isn't it, to forget the poor. Let's be generous to the poor. You know, we can do these things, you know, even if we're not working or on benefits or on pension because it's not the amount 
that we give because God will give the increase for it. You know, we have so much stuff, don't we? We have so much stuff. We empty our wardrobe so that we can buy some more clothes, don't we? We are so wealthy. We are so wealthy. Here's a quote for you. Money is to be used but not loved. We know the verse, don't we? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is to be used but not loved. Don't love money and use people. Love people and use money. Tim Keller said, Wealth is a great good as long as it does not become your greatest good. And Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures in earth where rust and moth destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasure in heaven. And then lastly, I'm going to just quickly look at permanent riches. Philippians 4 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Hopes and fears for 2024. This is our great hope. God will supply out of his riches in Christ. You know, we have a small view of Father God if we think he only supplies our daily food and our monetary needs, etc., etc. What God has given us through Jesus is absolutely amazing, as we've been singing about this morning. Jesus is all we need for every day and for eternity. Jesus, the much-loved Son of God, the perfect sinless Son of God, was born into this world. He lived and loved as and showed us the love of God, came to take away the sin and fear in our lives, everything that would separate us from God. He, died, he did that by dying upon the cross for us, that cruel and heinous death, to remove every stain of sin, to cleanse us and everything that separates us from God and to bring us into relationship with God. And I'm running out of puff. Isn't Jesus amazing? And he showed his power over death by God raising him from the dead, overcoming everything, including death, that separates us from God, preparing for us a much better home, a house in a city, in a dwelling place, his dwelling place, that we might live with him forever. Hopes and fears for this year, Father God will provide your needs through Jesus, your daily need for bread, your health, healing, wholeness, love, relationships, all those things that we've looked at over the last month. He will provide for us. Now, you may have a few fears that come along your way. And I want to shift gear here because I believe that God wants to just deal this morning with some very specific fears that we have. And in the last few minutes that we've got, we're going to just pray and look at some of these things. You know, because Jesus is going to give us a secure future and a, and, a, and a hope. But we need to deal with anxiety and fear and we are able to demolish those things as we seek his kingdom. Can I ask Mike and the group to come back and they will just play for us. And then um, if you've not enjoyed the sermon, you're going to enjoy the last song, I can assure you. It's a new song and it's a brilliant song. It's my number one favorite at the moment. But you'll have to wait before we sing that, okay? <laughs> yeah. But I just believe this morning that God wants to release us from fear. So can we relax and just 
Let him do that. Are we up for that? Good. That's great. You know, fear comes in all sorts of ways. It's all sorts of varieties. We can be afraid of spiders, flying, dogs, not flying dogs, flying (laughs) and dogs and crowds or heights or money problems. We can fear these things. We can fear rejection. We can fear abandonment. We can fear what's going to happen to us in later life. We can fear failure. We can fear embarrassment. We can have superstitious fears about ladders and cats and things. We can fear health issues, very real health issues like cancer, dementia, arthritis. We can fear accidents. Fear is not our friend. Amen? Amen. Fear is not our friend. And if you're just looking in today and you're visiting us, then please feel free to join in these prayers because we're going to actually say some prayers, okay? I'm going to get you to say some prayers and I'll lead you in that. So we're going we're to say sorry to God first for allowing fear into our lives and we're going to ask him to transform our thinking and we're going to ask him to release us from fear. Is that okay?